Good morning. My name is Austin Helm. I'm one of the teaching and venue pastors here at EV Free. And I love it when my life hits a good rhythm. Have you ever had a season of life where your life was just in rhythm? You may have been in the workforce. You may have been in school. Uh, you may have been overseas or, or doing a summer trip somewhere. But when your life hits a certain kind of rhythm, you tend to feel great about your life. The opposite is also true. When our lives fall out of rhythm, oftentimes we, we, we find ourselves feeling uncomfortable. We find ourselves feeling out of place, oftentimes feeling like the last two weeks of my summer vacation every year in elementary school. At the end of elementary school, at the end of the year in spring, I was so excited for summer. I was so excited to have no structure, to have no rhythm, to have no organization, and simply just to do whatever I wanted to do. But without fail, at the end of every summer, a summer filled with lifelessness, with drifting, with, with floating through the days, I began to feel restless and really yearning for school again. If you've ever graduated from college and been in that space between graduation and between entering the workforce, you felt that same kind of sensation. You're, you're, you're sending out resumes, you're filling out applications, and you find yourselves kind of drifting through the days aimlessly until you land that job and a new rhythm is established in your life. You see, for the human experience, rhythm is deeply important to our productivity and to our growth. A sociologist once said this, his name's Alvin Toffler, he says, most people surveying the world around them today, they see only chaos. They suffer a sense of personal powerlessness and pointlessness. He says individuals, in order to thrive, they need life structure. He says a life lacking in comprehensive structure is an aimless wreck. Your life falls apart without it. He says the absence of structure leads to complete Breakdown. That was me the last two weeks of summer vacation. Complete breakdown. I was ready to go to school. And more importantly, my parents were ready for me to go back to school. And then he says this. He says, structure provides the relatively fixed points of reference that we need. Our lives need fixed points of reference in order to excel. For instance, if you want to excel in school, you're gonna need fixed points of reference for studying. If you wanna excel in the workplace, you need fixed points of reference in which you show up to work and work. If you want to excel in fitness, you have to have fixed points of reference in which you exercise. Maybe it's a trip to the gym in the afternoon or an early morning run to the neighborhood. In order to excel in any area of life, we need fixed points of reference. And for the life of discipleship, if we want to excel in discipleship, our process of discipleship needs fixed points of reference. Now, as much as a 21st century sociologist said this, this isn't a 21st century idea. We'll go to the text. This is the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. The early church is erupting, and one of the first things they do is they establish fixed points of reference in their discipleship process. This is Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. It says they devoted themselves consistent devotion to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's communion. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and they held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It says, every day, notice that fixed point of reference, every day they would meet together in the temple courts. The first century temple courts would be like the local church today. And every day they would break bread in their homes and they would eat together with glad and sincere hearts. Eating together in homes would be like our modern day community groups. These fixed points of reference to take communion and to pray and to study together. It says they would praise God and they enjoyed the favor of all of the people. It says in the Lord, because of this consistency, because of this devotion, added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now as the church grows, these fixed points of reference at times would begin to waver in certain communities. Communities would meet together less frequently. They'd go to their local church less frequently. But the author of Hebrews warns against this. He says, now let us consider... Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but instead gathering together daily to encourage one another, to spur one another on more and more as you see the day Approaching, You see, the Christian life, the, the process of discipleship, if we want to excel in it, is filled with fixed points of reference. Now, there are two kinds of points of reference that, that fill the life of discipleship. One is a consistent point of reference. It's the kind of thing that we do when we gather here and we worship. That's a, that's a fixed point of reference. When we open the scriptures and we study consistently every Sunday, that's a a fixed point of reference in which we learn about the Lord and what he's calling us to. Once a month, when we gather towards communion, these things that we do consistently, these are fixed points of reference. But for some of us as well, there, there are moments in which it's a fixed point of reference and we get to continue to look back to it. Maybe it was an encouraging word that a friend said to you. Maybe it was encouraging words a teacher or a friend or a parent said to you. In the life of discipleship, a singular fixed point of reference that the believer is always encouraged to look back on is is, is the obedience and the process and the ritual of baptism. For the early church, saying yes to Jesus and obedience to baptism were deeply interconnected. You didn't do one without the other, and you didn't do the other without the one. This is the Gospel of Luke. Uh, John the Baptizer, uh, he's on the scene in the first century, and the text says in chapter three, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and during the high priesthood, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And it says that John went into all of the country around the Jordan and he was preaching a baptism. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood 
of vipers. If you want to keep a crowd, I recommend not calling them a brood of vipers. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Instead, produce fruit. Live the kind of lives that have an outward reflection of what's going on on the inside. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. What is John referencing here? This is Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household to the land that I will show you. He says, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all of the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This was the vocation given to the people of God. This was the vocation given to Israel. And so, and so as the people of God, as corporate Israel approaches John, John kind of says, listen, just because you say you're the people of God doesn't make you the people of God. And so the crowd responds to him, beginning in verse 10. They say, the crowd says, what then should we do? We've come to be baptized. What should we do in response to being baptized? How should our lives look different? And John says, anyone who has two shirts, you should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food, you should share with the one that has none. You see, baptism, it it called them to live differently once they came out of the water. It called them to join the people of God that are blessing the entire world. But not just the crowd asks this. It says the tax collectors as well. The tax collectors were the wealthy of society. And they came to John and said, teacher, what should we do in response to baptism? John responds, don't collect any more than you're required to. But not just the tax collectors. It says that soldiers... Those who were honored and part of the Roman Empire, they're at the waters. And they asked John, what should we do in response to baptism? And John says, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. But be content with your pay. You see, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. The Messiah is the one that would finally gather the people of God together to bless the world and to accomplish the mission of God. John answers all of them in response to this. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn. That's a picture of the people of God being gathered. Verse 18. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. What is the good news? That God is gathering a people not just to be his own, but a people to be his own and to bless the world. To extend generosity and goodness and kindness and grace into their spheres of influence. So when we talk about baptism, there's something significant that happens on the inside of us. There's a resonating yes in our hearts to Jesus, but the definition of baptism is actually much broader than that. 
You see, the definition of baptism isn't just a sense of looking and journeying within ourselves, but it's a looking and journeying into the world around us. Not just to say yes to Jesus and be forgiven of sin, but to come out of the water with a sense of mission that we are called to bless the world. We find that because not even Jesus was exempt from baptism. Jesus, the perfect son of God, went through the ritual of baptism. This is Matthew chapter three, beginning in verse 13. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And John does what you would expect of him. He tried to deter him saying, no, 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 Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. But you're coming to me to be baptized? And Jesus replied, the perfect son of God, let it be so. Let it be so now, because it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, as soon as Jesus went under the water, when he came up out of the water, at that moment, the heavens were opened and the spirit of God descended like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. See, one of the things that Jesus was doing is he was participating in a, in a symbolic public display that he was going to be the one that would gather God's people together to bless the world. See, all throughout the scriptures, a yes to Jesus was also followed by baptism. In, in, in the book of Acts, there's this scene in which uh, a, a eunuch is in a chariot uh, going back home, and, and Philip runs alongside the eunuch and shares Jesus with him. It's at that moment that the eunuch says yes to Jesus, and Philip is about to leave, and the eunuch says, well, here's water. Shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip thinks, well, that's a great idea. I guess we should baptize you. So there, there is this moment which the eunuch says yes to Jesus, but the yes to Jesus is always followed by baptism. The symbolic public display that I am marking myself for a lifetime committed to blessing the world alongside the people of God. And so this morning, we're gonna celebrate that. We're gonna celebrate people that have already signed up to be baptized, and we're gonna celebrate people that are sitting in their chairs right now that know that they've said yes to Jesus, or they need to cross the threshold of faith, but they've never been baptized, and they know this morning is their morning, and so when we're worshiping, people are just gonna spontaneously get out of their seats and say, this morning's my morning. We've got towels. We've got shirts. This morning is a morning to celebrate that God is gathering his people together to send them back out into the world to bless it, to restore it, and to redeem it. And so over the course of the next 20, 25 minutes, we're, we're gonna start by taking communion. I'd love to call the communion team forward. This is a moment in which it becomes a, a continuous and ongoing point of reference that we remember the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. And then following communion, we're gonna open up the waters of baptism. And those that have recently said yes to Jesus are gonna say, just like the eunuch, I, I, I need to undergo this ritual. I need to tell the community that I'm a part of the family. 
And some of you out there sitting right now have been a part of the family for a long time. You said yes to Jesus 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You've been faithful to the local church. You've been faithful to the mission, but you've just, you've just never taken the step of obedience to go into the water in the same way that Jesus did. The process of discipleship always leads us to the waters of baptism, that all righteousness would be fulfilled. And so this morning, we're just gonna celebrate. We're gonna celebrate folks that are brand new to faith, we're gonna celebrate folks that are just saying, this morning's my morning. Now is the time. Today is the day to be baptized. And so we're gonna worship for just a minute. I'm gonna come back up, hold on to your elements. We're gonna close communion together. And then we'll open up baptism. And so Lord, we ask you now that you'd fill this room, that your presence would fill this place and that you would make these fixed points of reference, watershed moments for us, that we would turn our eyes on you. That we'd remember your death, but also you are gathering us together to be your own, to be sent out. So Holy Spirit, in these moments, would you fill this place? It's in your name that we pray.